Welcome to episode 15 of Murders, Mysteries, and More. I'm your host, Rudy Uribe Jr. This week, we're proud to feature a short story by J. Reader Archuleta. Mr. Archuleta's latest book, The Best Horse and Other Short Stories, is available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. This week's tale is entitled, A Very Good Question. It's a look at the nightmares that occupy a law enforcement officer's mind, but the real hero of this story is Samuel, whose shift never ends and whose life revolves around protecting his brother. The story is only six minutes long, and it's amazing how much emotion, detail, and plot Jay Reader tells us in only a few thousand words. After the story, we have a brief interview with Mr. Archuleta, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that story and other things that he's working on. Here now is a very good question. Samuel very carefully opened the door to his brother's room. The heavy wooden door swung quietly on its hinges. The room was dimly lit, the window blinds filtering the light. His brother sat up in bed, his back against the headboard. He was awake, and in his left hand he held a half-empty bottle of whiskey. He wore an old gray sweatshirt, thinned by age and sagging at the shoulders where years ago the muscled bulk of his arms had filled the cloth near to bursting. Come in, Samuel. His brother spoke in a soft voice. He was calm. His face held a slight look of amusement. You okay? I'm fine, Samuel. He continued in his soft voice. He was looking around the room, his head stopping occasionally, making eye contact with the people who were gathered around his bed. Samuel noticed that his eyes were red and that the bags under them seemed to grow heavier every day. His brother narrowed his eyes so that only a slit was visible. He then took a drink from the bottle. You're going at it kind of early, aren't you? What? Oh. Just a little to get me back to sleep. I got the day watch tomorrow. He pointed around the room. I don't care for me drinking during their visit and usually leave after I have a few. Samuel looked around the room. Long ago, he had decided that it was best to humor his brother. At one time, he had thought about confronting his brother, but had become afraid of what it would do to him. Samuel knew they were alone in the room, but his brother knew better, and it had become his reality. It's funny, Samuel's brother said in his low voice. The kids always stand over there, and the adults always stand there. When did they get here? Samuel asked. Well, I don't know. When I woke up, they were here again. They always come when they please, without me inviting them. What do they want this time? Well, same as always. They always want me to answer the question. Same question? Uh-huh. They never really ask it, but you can see the question in their eyes, especially the kids. His brother looked out over the foot of his bed. There was no anger or fear in his voice. And what is that question? Samuel knew that if he talked with him, it helped his brother through these sessions that 
he called the visitations. Well, same question they always ask. Will you find them? I've heard that question hundreds of times. Can you find them? And some of the fellas always tell them that, yes, we will. Oh, you bet we'll find them. We always find them. Now, I wouldn't worry. Sooner or later, we will find them. And when you tell them this, do they go away? Oh, I think they would go if I told them that, but I never do because we don't always find them. If I told them that we always find them, then I'd be lying to them. But if you told them, then they would go away, right? Samuel kept his voice low. Maybe. But they'd be back. Because they know the difference between the truth and a lie. You can't lie to them. You should never lie to them. And all they really want is the truth. His brother took another drink from the bottle and Samuel saw that he was beginning to relax. His brother leaned his head against the headboard and began a small smile. See, Samuel? They're leaving now. I really don't think they like the whiskey. Well, now that they're gone, I'll let you get some sleep. Thanks, Samuel. Are Kath and the boys still asleep? Yep, they're still asleep. Samuel lied. It was a few minutes after noon. He stood there a moment with his back against the bedroom door, and his brother closed his eyes and began to snore softly. Then he went over and gently took the bottle from his hand. He put it on the nightstand next to the holstered pistol. He noticed the deep creases in the black leather that snapped over the pistol's backstrap under the hammer. His brother's wife bought the holster for him as a present when he was promoted to sergeant. I'll take the gun, he thought. Can't be too careful. When he reached over and picked up the gun, another smaller piece of leather that had been leaning against the holster fell away. It was his brother's old badge holder with a metal clip on the back that would slip onto the belt in front of the holstered weapon. It looked a bit forlorn without the badge. They had taken that away from his brother a long time ago. That was a very good question by our special guest today, J. Reader Archuleta. So the title of your book is The Best Good Horse and Other Short Stories. And I, I've got to tell you, I read, I read it very quickly. There is something about your style that is very... It, 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 don't take this the wrong way, but it, it, there's a simplicity to it where I just got caught up in, in the, a little ripple that took me to the end of the stream and, and I couldn't stop. And it was such an easy read for me. Have you worked on, on that or is that just your natural style? Well, actually, uh, I, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm, um, I'm flattered uh, because that is what I tried to do. I, I grew up, uh, Rudy, you, you told me you grew up in Laredo. So we grew up in kind of similar areas, uh, more more rural. I worked on farms and ranches. And um, I, I, my, my mother's family is from Mexico. And so I, I grew up in the, you know, the culture that's on the Mexican border, which is basically two cultures. And uh, so 
the people I grew up with and worked with, they were they were more action, less words. I'm sure you know you 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 experienced the same. There very few adjectives in their vocabulary, except when it came to cussing, of course. <laughs> then they became very inventive. But and and I liked that, and and I admired the the writers that I admired had that style. Uh, let the let the story be driven by the action, uh, by dialogue, and don't over explain everything. Let the reader kind of draw their own conclusions. My when you told me that, I thought good. Then I then I achieved what I set out to accomplish. There's some subtlety to the story that will kind of fool you at first. And I'm not talking about just my style, but it's the style I, I like. Uh, for example, some of uh, some of Hemingway, some of some of the more modern writers like Lucia Berlin, they have that knack to let the characters and the action drive the story, and that's what I was trying to to do with mine. Let's talk about your story. Uh, a very good question. Is any of that based in reality, or is, did that all come out of your head? No, that's that's based on my experience. I I, uh, I spent most of my life in law enforcement, and um, I wanted to tell. First of all, let me back up for a moment. It's interesting that you picked that story because that story has a story behind it i wanted to, i always wanted to tell the story about what wakes guys like me up in the middle of the night we you can't live that life you can't have been employed in law enforcement been a criminal investigator and still not have those moments where you wake up and uh you, your heart is pumping so i started to tell the story and i it, and i got it it was uh my God, I think it was up to about 8,000 words. And I found what I was doing was taking the reader by the hand and leading them into the story. And and a lot of it started getting a, too sympathetic, a little bit too emotional. I said, no, I can back off. This is not going to work. This is, this is not good. So I went back and I thought about Hemingway's story, A Cat in the Rain, which is about three pages. I said, if you can get it down to to that length and still tell the story without, you know, trying to jerk the tears out of the reader, just tell the story just like it is. And that's what I, I set out to do. And, and quite frankly, that short little story there took me the longest of all the stories in that book to write. So I, I, I find it very interesting that you settled on that story. I love that art form. I, I enter a lot of flash fiction type of contests. I've won, I've been published in the Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, the uh, Mysterious Photograph Contest. And we only have, in that one, we only have 250 words to tell a story and to develop a character. And so... I really appreciate it when you can, you know, I felt sympathy for Samuel. And again, I've already read the story, so I'm not giving anything away here. Uh, I felt sympathy for Samuel that he, and compassion that he was taking care of his brother. And, you know, just seeing his brother lying there in bed, 
you know, still trying to answer their questions, you know, or they're still asking the questions, did you find them? And that is haunting. And so I absolutely loved that story. And, and that's why I chose that one. Well, I'm glad. Uh, the other thing, too, is I, I, I love the thing that inspires me is selfless acts by people. And if you look at Samuel, he is, he is the true hero in this story because he's taking care of his brother. His brother shifts and, you know, in his mind, the shift ends or your day watch, night watch, whatever you're on. Right. It ends at a certain time. Samuel's watch never ends because he's got his brother round the clock. So he, he, to me, is kind of the unsung hero in in that very short story as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I absolutely loved it. And now I've got to ask you, as a writer, when when you start, I'm just curious about your writing style. Do you know beginning, middle, and end, or do you write by the seat of your pants? I mean, does the story develop as you're writing it, or do you already know it? That's a good question, and a writer would ask that question. <laughs> but, but no, that's you're right. Some of the story, some of the stories, I'll carry around uh, for weeks, sometimes months, and I'll have a, a good beginning and a middle, but no ending. And so you're right. I I, I sit down and I start writing because, as you know, after a while you say I've got to start. I've got to start somewhere. And I got to get some of this on paper before it flies out of my mind. And and sometimes when you're writing, the ending or the solution or whatever you want to call it, just kind of comes to you uh, naturally. So yes, that's uh, your you hit that one right on the head. Yeah, I I, I think it's interesting because I find myself a lot of times. It almost sounds like they're alive here, but the characters will take you to the ending or they'll do something that maybe even changes what you had in mind and and the story takes on a life of its own and I love that part of it and uh, that's why I was curious how you did that. Now is that true for all your stories? Uh, yeah, the, the, the longer ones are um, uh, more like, I don't know, novellas I suppose is the proper term and those I kind of started out with a a beginning, a middle, and an end. I just didn't know how to put it together. So again, you sit down and you start writing, and it just seems to fall in place. Uh, some some of them quicker uh, than others. And a lot of these characters, again, are they coming from people you've met? A combination of people you've met, or a, a lot of it is just manufactured in your in your mind oh no they're, they're all based on characters i know rudy i i learned a long time ago i am i'm not clever enough to <laughs> to invent things out of uh, out of thin air i i i can only write about what i know about and um uh, you know like the the story about uh, the the young boy uh josh who Josh actually is the main character in the second book, uh, which was my first book of short stories, The El Paso Red Flame Gas Station. But in the in the Best Good Horse, 
the story about him in what we would call South Texas. If you're from Laredo, it would be north of you. But uh, it takes place down around Eagle Pass, and that's based on my experience because when I was a a young kid of about 16, I I followed the harvest, uh, drove dump trucks and uh, combines, and so that came out of my imagination although it was based on my real experience um, doing the work down there and then traveling home on a bus with a cash in a <laughs> in a, my little canvas <laughs> little canvas carryall right right and, and Jay t- tell me a little bit about your law enforcement career how long did you do it you know for what county what where were you well I, I was with a large department and um I had over 25 years. Uh, I went into the private sector for a while. Uh, that didn't last long. And then I went back into, I volunteered uh, for, um, actually it was a, an, it's a national outfit. And there were a bunch of retired uh, detectives and guys with experience in different departments. It was, a na- it was a national organization back east, and it was for missing and exploited children. So they had a lot of, they actually had some uh, federal guys, uh, a lot of homicide detectives, people with experience in uh, violent crime, investigating violent crimes, and uh, child abductions. So I did that. I, I, I volunteered with them for a good you know, 10, 15 years and uh, then finally got out completely and then and that's when i uh really started writing more seriously and steadily yeah well you you just gave us more insight in, into the the story that i read because uh it's got to be heartbreaking you know people asking you did you find them did you find them and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't and sometimes right. when you find them it's not always not always good, but maybe closure. Right. So it's got to be brutal what, what you went through. Yeah, yeah. You don't you find them, but they're not alive. Right. That's the, right. That's the thing. Wow. So Jay, tell us uh, where we can get your book. Okay. Um, the publisher is Art Inc. I Z Z A R D Inc. Publishing. You can buy it directly from them. Uh, Barnes and Noble has it online as does Amazon. Uh, so they have all three of my books, and the, and you can get them uh, as an e-book or the hard copy. Fantastic. Any closing remarks? Uh, no, I just uh, appreciate it. I, uh, when I was told that you wanted to talk to me, I, I listened to your, your, your cast, your podcast. It, by the way, this is all a new deal for me, podcasting. But I really, what I really appreciated about it was your affection for the short stories. When you start talking about the, the Hitchcock photograph thing and, and 250 words, I said, uh, here's a guy, here's a kindred spirit. So I really enjoyed that. And, and I do want to wish you uh, the best of luck for, I think you got a good thing going and um, I hope that you you do very well with it, Rudy. Well, thank you. And the absolute same goes for you. Jay, thank you. Look forward to your next one. I imagine we're not done, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm 
working on it. <laughs> okay. Well, you you give me a call when that next one comes out, and we'll uh, go ahead and talk to you again and, and see what's what's going on new in your life. Okay. Thanks again, Rudy. Oh, Jay, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. You know, oftentimes life is more challenging than the stories we write. So stay positive, maintain an attitude of gratitude, and smile. Until we meet again, for Murders, Mysteries, and More, I'm Rudy Uribe, Jr.